I'm great at controlling my anger. I'm Eddie Webb. Chris Smash! <laughs> and today we're going to talk about She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, here on Genreless. Welcome to Genre List, where we are working our way through the last vestiges of the MCU on Disney+. Plus. I and think some people would say dregs. I was trying to avoid the language, but yeah, we're, we're definitely uh, a petering, I think is a fair assessment to say, on uh, a couple of different levels. Um, uh, I'm not worried. And- X, is, X is gone now, so all the people that will come after me for generally my comments shortly to come won't have a good platform. They can follow me on blue sky to comment at me, but I got like 13 people. Right. Or yeah, they'll, they'll find you on Perler. Oh wait, you're not there. <laughs> or if you want to email me, I'll happily have a discourse about the entire show with you via email. Sure. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, I interrupted you. No, no, uh, that, that, that was way more interesting than what I was going to say. So that's fine. And I'm full of snark this morning. So, uh, <laughs> full I, of I, woke up, I woke up snarky. I rolled out of bed. And I went snark, snark smash. So, um, uh, I, I, I feel like I need to talk about this show in context a bit because, um, cards on the table, I don't usually do it this early, but I think it's important to, to frame the show. Um, I have extremely conflicted feelings about this show and a lot of them due to, is due to the context of the show. So last week we talked about Ms. Marvel and how there was a lot of online hate about the show. And we were both very clear that that hate was largely undeserved. Mm-hmm. Um, there are flaws with the show, certainly, but they're extremely minor and have nothing to do with the things that people were actually bitching about. Uh, the same thing happened with She-Hulk. And there's a lot of clever bits of She-Hulk that engage with the things that people were mad about. Um, because a lot of it was how dare a woman lead a show functionally. And the show directly engages with what it's like to be both a woman on the internet and a woman in a professional environment. And on those fronts, I, I I like what this show is trying to do separately because of the way the shows engage with those topics. My wife became a huge fan of the show because this spoke to her on a lot of levels. Um, So uh, those combined with the fact that it's a very thinly Ally McBeal pastiche, um, there's a lot of things that I really wanted to like about the show. And so in the course of watching it, I ended up convincing myself that I really liked the show. Some distance away from that context, I watched it again for this show, and I realized that some of the complaints that were made about the show are in fact valid and have nothing to do with the fact that it's just a woman. Um, there are some genuine problems with this show. Uh, so it's going to be, for me at least, uh, a lot of... I want to find the good in this. And I think there is some genuine good in this, but the actual show is kind of a hot mess. And how much of that is intentional hot mess and how much of that is unintentional hot mess is something I think we'll pick apart over the course of the next hour plus. So for me, I've watched every Marvel show pretty much as it airs. And my wife watches them with me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she's excited about it. Sometimes she's like, why are we watching this? And I will say that, for Miss Marvel, she was into it. She jazzed mm-hmm. with it. She enjoyed parts of Loki. 
he gave me some side eye for Hawkeye in that year old shenanigans. Um, the Winter Soldier, she thought was pretty good. She loved WandaVision, like the first mm-hmm. two thirds of WandaVision. Mm-hmm. We hit She-Hulk and she asked, do we have to keep watching this? Right. I love Jennifer Walters in the 616 because Jen is like the bomb, like one of the mm-hmm. best characters. This show is a, in my opinion, a dubious translation of that character into a new medium. I made a comment, I want to say, Jesus, early on in us even trying to make genreless, that you have to adapt characters with the new mediums that they're going in, but in those writer's room needs to be people that love the, the actual source material and people that may want to poke fun at it because you'll get in a middle ground and that middle ground will make something better for that new medium. And right. it feels like in this writer's room, there was no one with a love of the material and it was more about kind of making fun of it. And I understand they have specific points they want to make. Cause I, myself as a writer, like to make very specific points that a lot of people want to discuss, but this lost didn't feel like a love for it. And it only felt like a vehicle. I think the best way I can, I can kind of describe my frustration with it is we have reached a point where Marvel is trying to check. Actually, I mentioned it before. Marvel sometimes just check off boxes with these shows. And this one feels the most checkboxy of them all. Uh, and to be blunt, I think this is trying to channel the Deadpool movies and failing very badly at it. Uh, combined with the fact that they're trying to, they're trying to do some things with this that are weirdly uh, uh, resonance of all the problems that She-Hulk has as a character, comic-wise in her creation. So maybe we should kind of talk about that before I can finish my thought. Um, because uh, I suspect you know, but in case the audience doesn't know, how She-Hulk came about. She-Hulk came about as a legal checkbox because 1977 Incredible Hulk show came about. Uh, Stanley was worried that at some point in time, the TV show would create some kind of female Hulk. Uh, and so he rushed out a, a, a character called She-Hulk, and you could just tell by the name how much thought he put into it, uh, to make sure that Marvel held the rights to any kind of female Hulk character that that show would try to create. So to have She-Hulk be the headlining of a show that feels like it's put out there just to kind of cement a certain quadrant in their marketing plan is intensely frustrating because this character, as you say, deserves better. Because yes, that's why she was created, but Jennifer Walters has over time become a fantastic character. The, um, the backbone of literally dozens of teams, and then she leads the A-Force. Like, yeah. Jin is, oh! <clears throat> yeah, I mean... Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to be controversial here. I love the thing, but when she replaced the thing in the Fantastic Four is one of the best runs of the Fantastic Four comic as a whole. She adds an entirely new dynamic and it's yes. astounding. And it's a character mostly in the comics, not at the start, but sort of in the middle to a long late run knew who they were. 
And there's a confidence in that that is displayed in almost every aspect of her life. And as someone that is sex positive, I was I liked seeing a character that was sex positive and just go yeah. out and do cool stuff. And then if people tried to shame them, they're like, fuck off, you prude. Like mm-hmm. and ugh. so I'm I'm starting the show, I will say, frustrated with this show. Right. And uh, I didn't talk about it before because if you say anything it was a long time if you were to say anything negative about the She Hulk show, you would be lumped into the group of trolls right. who were attacking it just because she was a woman. Right. And I feel like I kind of ended up on the opposite end of that because I was like a lot of the concerns I felt were invalid. And so I reached a point where I kind of loved the show in spite of the hate. And I didn't really listen to some of the actual concerns that are being present, like you said. Um, so so I, I I didn't attack people, but I certainly fell in that mental category of, no, you fuck you, you know, this show is great. Um, so in a way, I'm glad we had a chance to look back at it. Uh, but it's also, um, on top of all of this, I think there's another point we need to kind of talk about a little bit is... Uh, this particular iteration of She-Hawk is heavily inspired by the John Byrne run, which was the first time she was, I think it's the first time she had her own series. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did you she own... go back to like the seventies where she had her own series where it was a savage She-Hawk, which they make a, oh, a joke about. Right, 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 right. Um, uh, okay. So then one of the runs, uh, uh, John Byrne ran and that's where she gets her fourth wall breaking things. And actually mm-hmm. I want to point out, I'll make it very clear. She did it before Deadpool did, so fuck you. Um, uh, but the idea of her being aware that she's a comic book character came from John Byrne, who is, in recent years, big sigh, come out as a problematic comic book creator. Um, uh, which is frustrating because I really love a lot of John Byrne's 80s stuff. But Even um, a Superman? I kind of like a Superman, yeah. not going to lie. Um, uh, but going back and rereading it a while back, um, there's very much an underpinning of sexiness and objectification that kind of comes from it. And like you said, later on, later creators took that and spun it into more. She's sex positive and that's been great. Mm-hmm. But initially under his run, that was pretty rocky. Um, and also a fair bit of her being less powerful than other characters. Um, mm-hmm. So... Uh, her most well-known run itself has some problems. And so there's a lot of, I bring us all up because She-Hawk's had a very rough road, comic book wise. Um, and it's frustrating that yes, she's had some really great highs and she's really low lows. It's only been the past, say 10, 15 years where she's become such a really extremely solid character in the MCU. In fact, um, her recent run on the Avengers where she became a little more uh, like Bruce and Hulk, like uh, did a really good job of saying, you know, she doesn't have to be uh, a, basically a bikini model. She mm-hmm. could be a big, huge brooding bulky monster. And that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they're this, and she could flirt with Thor and then have some amazing conversations in that run. I mean, so combined with the fact that she's a lawyer and there's kind of this running bit of, of being a lawyer in the MCU. It's a part of the, the, the humor of the game. The John Byrne run is how weird it is being a lawyer in a place like the MCU. So there's a lot of, of you could see, look at that and you see a lot of the boxes being checked in the show, right? Uh, but it's, uh, it's just a lot. I, I honestly, I think I think the point where it's like, we're kind of digging into it. Um, 
because I think a lot of the problems come from the constraints and the things that MC are trying to do right now. So unless you have any other thoughts about the overall show or the original comic. Um, so we keep talking about She-Hulk, but what can She-Hulk do? She's the Hulk. But I don't know what that girl. means. Okay. Um, uh, you do know Which I, I will point out. I'll point out one thing, though. The name She-Hulk bothers me intrinsically much how the name uh, like Black Panther, Black Lightning bothers me. Oh, yeah. yeah Statements. It was assumed, but now I just made it blunt. Right. Uh, um, to a point where um, recently she's actually just gone by Hulk a few times and dropped the She-Hulk. As well they uh, should. Um, uh, but that is the canonical name and the one that she's trademarked under, so we'll continue using it. Uh, but She-Hulk is basically the Hulk, um, and, and it, it actually maps, the, 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 this is one of the few times where the MCU is pretty much identical to uh, her comic book canon, uh, where that uh, she was in an accident, she got a blood transfusion uh, from her cousin Bruce, although in the comics it was more of a medical transfusion, not just blood being slapped around after a car accident. Oh, I, oh. my friend, will point out that even the origin in the comics was better because if memory serves, it highlights again in the comic, it highlighted her legal skills because I think it was a hit by like mobs or something mafia that she had. I'm sorry. It might've been the Magia that Magia, she put away right. and they had a hit and she was shot. Like it was something dealing with her legal aspects of her character. Just not in. That's fair. That's fair. But um, more to the point, since day one, she's always had way more control over her anger and her strength and her form than Bruce ever did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, the show recognizes this and makes fun of it. We'll talk about that more in the episode. But uh, she has always had control over her form uh, to the point where there are large stretches of comics where she just prefers to be in Hulk form, but she's compl- and she does her job in her Hulk form. Um, she's except very recently um, been extremely coherent and had full mental capacity in her Hulk form. So from every objective metric, she's just better at being the Hulk than Bruce. Uh, and, Depends on which iteration of the Hulk you're referencing. Well, true. I mean, like there was a gray Hulk. Um, there's, uh, uh, I mean, Bruce the professor, but I but was speaking more, inconsistently. I, sorry. I was speaking more of the fact if you're talking about a, team functional Hulk who you want to have on your team. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's Jin. Or if you want a massive force of destruction Hulk, which is Bruce because Jin has better control and she's really strong, but Bruce gets stronger the matter he gets. Like that was a parallel. I think Stan was playing with when they first made her. Uh, uh, fair. Um, and certainly that tracks again with the, the aforementioned Avengers run um, because uh, when she did lose control, she did get stronger. Uh, um, but, uh, you're right in terms of being a team player is more what I'm saying, like in terms of a, a superhero and someone who gets the job done, Jen is going to nine times out of 10 do a better job. If you just want someone to unleash and obliterate a whole bunch of people, then yeah, you, you maybe call Bruce and literally throw him into the, and see what happens. Uh, but I mean, uh, one of the things that's interesting is like she from a from a pure checking the stats perspective, she is more or less the same as Bruce. She she can 
Her strength is on the same par, bar him getting mad. Her strength is on the same level. Um, she's not as smart as Bruce in terms of science, but she is far smarter, obviously, than legal, uh, and also just general day-to-day being, a, being a, a, not a mess of a human being. Jen pretty much has her life together, more or less. Um, her ability to break the fourth wall, it is unclear whether this is super superpower or not. Uh, it sometimes is written as if she has some kind of power, other times it is not. That's, um, it is never like Deadpool painted as a mental illness. Uh, she always is fully aware of what she's doing, fully aware of her environment, and actually, but but also sometimes she just loses that ability. So it's a little vague as whether it's superpower or not. In the same way that's a little vague whether the Hulk is actually is resistant to magic or not, or whether he just trolls Doctor Strange. That just kind of depends on which run of the defenders you're reading, frankly. I would like to state my preference is that Jin's fourth wall breaking is a superpower mm-hmm. specific to her. And somehow Deadpool stole part of it. And for the Hulk, the Hulk is resistant to magic. Those, those are my my internal Chris sort of like. I tend to agree um, because her having him as a power that ebbs and flows makes more sense, frankly. Um, but to be honest, the fourth wall breaking is meant as a comedic approach. Uh, and so the more comedic Jen gets, the more she has that ability. The less comedic she gets, the less she has that ability. And again, this show is channeling that. So on paper, it feels like this show should be really faithful to the comic book character. We're going to see how that plays out. <laughs> I, I liked the Ella McBeal show when I was growing up. I watched it. Yeah. And it was, it was really entertaining. I laughed. I felt like they had a vague sense of how, how a legal drama would work. I'm just mm-hmm. making a statement now. That I may right. go back to shortly. Right, right. Um, I will. I do want to point out that I know that you said they were on par strength-wise. I think that the Hulk was stronger, but over the course of time, one of the things they point out is the more that Jen worked out, the more her strength would magnify. And I think that's where she got to the point of being like on par with the non-raging Hulk. The same thing with like um, the our ever-loving Benjamin J. Grimm. Right. Because, like, yes. they both progressed stronger over the course of this because they kept, they're like, what the fuck? The Hulk is stronger than me? Bullshit. That, 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 and that's fair <laughs> because I remember very clearly that she would start using uh, the things, gym equipment. And at the early run of Fantastic Four, she struggled with it near the end. She was generally using it pretty well. Um, so she got to be at least as, as high as the thing. And the thing is on par with the Hulk when he's not raging. And I want to point it out. Not to just whiffle waffle, but as another point of like, that's Jen's character. Jen is someone who's dedicated to things. And if she finds it, she goes, she does it and accomplishes it. Mm-hmm. I just yep. want to re-cement that. It's like in every aspect of that character. Okay. Ready to go on to episode one? Do we have to? Yes. Episode one, a normal amount of rage. Before a court case, lawyer Jennifer Walters tells the viewers about an incident a few months earlier where she and her cousin Bruce Banner were in a car crash after encountering with a Sakaran spacecraft. While attempting to get Banner to safety, Walters was cross-contaminated with his blood, causing her to transform into a Hulk. Banner took Walters to a secret laboratory in Mexico where he trained her to control her new powers. She was able to effortlessly hide his tra- handle his training using the chatting again. 
She was able to effortlessly handle his trading regime, but she rejected the idea of becoming a superhero full-time. Banner tried to stop her from leaving, and the two fought until Banner reluctantly accepted Walter's wish to return to her legal career. Back in court, Walter is interrupted by super-powered influencer Titania, who violently bursts through a wall while fleeing from her own trial. Walter transforms, defeats Titania, and returns to normal to make her closing arguments. Now, <clears throat> wait before you before you get on point. Okay, go ahead. I want a tangent. Go ahead. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to our Armors War, War run, where I love Titania, and I even give a breakdown mm-hmm. of her as a character. Oh. Yep. In statement. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was... That's actually a good segue into where I was going to say anyway, which is that um, I could see the bullet point on the writer's wall of um, introduce concept of show, introduce She-Hulk's origin, introduce Titania. And then this script happened. Um, It is probably one of the laziest uh, origin stories I've ever seen. They spend far too much time. I mean, literally, she gets an accent and goes, boop, she's a Hulk now. That's pretty much it. There's a throwaway line about your genetic structure, blah, blah, blah. That kind of goes into it. Um, and, it th- and it raises all sorts of questions because, like, cousins don't work that way, but sure, whatever. Uh, then um, we spend way too long of her establishing, I have control of this. I want to go back to my life now. And that's just not happening. And, there's, and again, it's a comedy. There's funny gags. I get it. And the, the, this show, because it breaks the fourth wall, is establishing this is a comedy where you talk to the fourth wall. It's a sitcom specifically. It's a legal sitcom. And the show is... The show's arc is ultimately... Jennifer is trying to drag the show into being a legal comedy as a parallel to Jennifer's reluctance to become a superhero. To show... Sorry, go ahead. No, please. I was just going to say, like, it would. it's really cool when you take the idea of sitcoms and use that as an arc for character drama and, oh, wait, you've already made that fucking show. I'm going to say... So to show that I am, I am more neutral than I, I joke about and let on, in defense of the show, it was heavily rewritten. For instance, it was supposed to have had 10 episodes, and mm-hmm. this origin story was supposed to have been around episode 8. Oh. And they went back, and they were like, uh, fuck, no one can understand what we're doing. And so they had to rewrite it and put the origin story at the beginning instead of so late in the run. Right. And you can feel it, how it's changed. and. We'll talk about it later, but you can feel the lack of a solid ending. Well, I'm assuming whatever that 10th episode was supposed to have been. Yeah. Mm. So it had all of that pressure in addition to everything else that we were discussing. Right. Um, I also think this is one of the writer's rooms that I can't remember specifically, but I do remember on one of the shows, there was a head writer who talked about not knowing anything about comics and they would just hit up Kevin Feige for their comic information. Which I, as a writer, think it's perfectly okay if you don't know anything about your about your source material. But sure, you go and read it and you research it, right? From right, it's the, the research heavy guy. I didn't know anything about the comic. Is fine, and so I asked the executive for all my answers. Is the part where it falls down? It's like, no, you should. Especially because comics, it's like you know, spends knock out half a day 
sit down with the burn run, read 20 issues, then go back and ask Kevin for specifics, right? Just do yeah. some basic research. Um, and, and also I want to say like, my issues have nothing to do with the actors, right? This is a, to me, another example where with, with a couple of minor exceptions, the actors are generally working within the brief they clearly had, which is, this is a comedy sitcom that happens to have superheroes in it. We're going to poke fun at the MCU specifically. So this is also a satire of the MCU that's part of and go. Uh, so, I mean, I, I feel like that all more or less got nailed, particularly uh, uh, the actress who plays Jennifer Walters. I really think she did a great job I with what a, she had. From Orphan Black, she was exceptional. Black, yeah. Like, I want her to have better writers. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Um, and and I think uh, uh, how she, she presented Jen in a Hollywood-friendly way, but still she comes across as just a woman trying to get by. Uh, uh, so it's a very good job of balancing that. She's a very good job of, uh, of like I said, using material we had to. Um, uh, but uh, so the framing sequence, which I won't talk much about, is that she's getting ready to go to a case. She talks to the audience, says, hey, this is going to be a legal drama. I suppose we should get this origin stuff out of the way. Most of this is the origin story. Then at the end, you have the closing case. Uh, there's not much to say about the actual frame at the start, frankly. Well, it does give a quick dynamic between Jin and her legal assistant slash BFF, though. Like that is true. Quickly established because that's going to be a recurring character who really cares about Jin, and that's put on display quickly for us. That's fair. Um. Uh. Then. Uh, we start to get into the mess of this whole thing um, because for an origin that is very fast on Jen's end and then spends a lot of time just trying to reinforce her relationship with Bruce, there's not a lot of explanation as to what the hell is going on. Like literally a spaceship appears, they crash, Bruce mentions it's a spaceship, and that's the beginning, middle, and end of that arc, Right. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a joke to a, another completely different movie that the show for, itself acknowledges it's not going to explain. For two different movies, because you've got the one about his time as like a gladiator that's a joke movie. But then also it makes a joke of in-game and the sacrifice that Bruce, that Bruce made to use the gauntlet, like destroying that arm. So like, it's all better. Voila. Yes, it's it's both bound by continuity and gleefully ignores continuity, which, again, like the the show's making fun of the MCU and it's kind of starting here, but it's doing it at the expense of the audience, and that's a problem. The audience is just as confused as Jennifer is, and that's a that's bad because this is supposed to be part where Jennifer's explaining to us what's going on. That's the whole point of the frame but we are actually confused further by the explanation. And I think it goes back to, you need to have someone with a lot of influence in a room that has a love of the material. And this Correct. is where, even when I first watched it, I didn't feel a love at all for the material. I'm okay. If you want to poke fun at it, if you want to be uh, making fun of the thing from inside the house, it's fine. Right. But I need to know that you still like the thing that you're making fun of. Right. Right. Um, 
Now, uh, to, to, to give this whole chunk of scenes credit, I'm going to lump them all together because they're kind of one long montage of stuff. Um, I like the fact that Jennifer connects her ability to control the Hulk situation better by her experience being a woman in the 21st century. Right? It's like, I deal with this shit all the time in a way that you don't. That's why I control this better. I liked that connection. I'm glad that they spelled that out very early on. And the show just kind of touch back on it. Except for the fact it's going to also completely undo that in yep. seven episodes time. So it was a really cool setup that they then proceed to undermine. And that's frustrating. Um, but at the time, I was very excited by that. I was like, yes, that, that's wonderful. It's a great way to explain this never adequately explains difference between two characters. It keeps it very modern. It keeps it fresh. And her kind of eye rolling of like, listen, I'm just going to go because this is all nonsense. I was actually, I, I liked the show that this was kind of promising to be. It's like kind of a rocky start, but if this show goes this direction, this could be really cool. I liked, I didn't like that part for me specifically, because if you're in the Avengers world and you've seen these constantly like near world ending events, I am very much, I guess, in the Peter Parker mold. With great power comes great responsibility, hands down. And Jid now has great power. She has a responsibility to use that power. Like, that is what I, as a viewer, see and I would expect. Sure. And I'm, I'm okay if you, it's that uh, I refuse to call it first, but then I come around to it. Right. Which, and, is, which is explicitly what happens mm. over the course of the show. Over the course of the show. Not this episode, but the course of the show. If you say so. I'm, I'm going to... Okay, I'm going to jump ahead real quick to episode eight. She explicitly says, this isn't a reluctant superhero story. I'm at peace with myself now. Why is this still going? Just because you, in a writer's room, decide that if you specifically point out problems with your own script does not make it better. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. And I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it's what happens. Um, okay. But, but you're pointing out that my overall issue with the whole show is that the show recognizes it's 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 kind of a piece of shit, but that doesn't elevate it from being a piece of shit. WandaVision poked holes at its own premise in a very elegant and cool way. Mm -hmm. It made the poking the holes at its own premise part of the ongoing mystery. Granted, it did it by trolling the audience, as we talked about. Um, but it played with the double blunt. WandaVision played with the fourth wall better than She-Hulk does, which is ostensibly part of the She-Hulk's concept. Because WandaVision did a fantastic job of going, let's play with the audience expectations in a week-to-week -week moment to get them to buy into conspiracy theories that we're never going to tap into. And then turn on them to say, no, we told you the entire time what was going on. You just didn't see it because you were wrapped up in your own theories. And this show should have been able to do that. And, it, and this episode sets up that that's what's going to happen, and it just is not going to deliver on that. I will I'll reference it like this, but do you know why that is? Like, and one idea for that, sorry, that, that's an unfair question for me to ask you. I apologize. In my opinion, the reason it does that is that WandaVision did the work. We literally yes. know they went out, they researched the different eras of television. They brought in people from that time frame in that time period. They had an enjoyment, at least of the comics, and that's shown on the screen. She-Hulk did not do the work. I think I we agree. literally have interviews of them saying they didn't do the work. Right, I agree. And then the biggest kicker 
is if you go in and pitch something, like I'm going to make a legal comedy drama show, you need to be able to write legal scenes. Right. And that leads to kind of my point with the end of the frame is we finally get to what essentially the show is about and essentially what Jennifer Walters wants it to be about, which is about court drama. And it literally gets interrupted by a superhero fight. The MCU cannot interfere with it. And granted, the show's going to poke fun at that later, much, 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 much later. Um, but here, it's not a point of fun. Literally, the show's giving its own way. Jennifer's is going to make a astute legal argument, and someone punches a hole in a wall, and, gets, and she gets to a She-Hulk fight. And then when she goes back to closing argument, the episode ends. We never get to see the legal comedy part of the legal comedy. So I know we're a little all over the place because I'm jumping us all around. I am. Oh, so I almost told Eddie that, hey, maybe we just shouldn't do the She-Hulk show. Mm -hmm. But I am a completionist, so I figured we can try to do the She-Hulk show. But even as I'm sitting here discussing this with Eddie, it's. Hey, it's, it's after five now. Um, I'm getting frustrated thinking in about the show and all the potential that it had. Right. So my objective during this is not to drag the show, but to point out these things. And I'm stating it out loud now for you, the audience, and for me, myself. Right. <laughs> because that's not the kind of show that we are. And we've had some, some moments where I will say that I've dropped the ball on that. And I don't want to do that to Eddie for a show that you enjoyed to some extent. Well, right. Well, the reason why I'm bringing all this up is because I want to show you my arc with this show, right? There's a reason why I jumped over a lot of the middle ground. Uh, because I'm frustrated because I'm fine with the messy episode. I'm, I'm fine with the messy pilot. Pilots are, by definition, meant to be a little messy, right? They're, you're still feeling out what the show's going to be. So the fact is messy pilot is not my issue. The fact is that we're going back to Moon Knight, where you promised one show and I don't get that show that you're promising. Um... But arguably, this show is giving me exactly what it's promising, which is it's never going to give you the legal comedy. <laughs> the show's like, no, you're never getting this. Stop wanting that. We're going to literally break up what you want with a fight. So arguably, the show is telling me not to expect that. But we have the problem of, of Jennifer Walters is telling us that's the show she wants. But at the same time, even she doesn't want that show. Well, that's why I think that's why I think the 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 underlying problem with the show is um, is the fact that Jennifer Walters. The only way I can reconcile this show in my head is that Jennifer Walters is an unreliable narrator. And for those who aren't familiar with the trope, unreliable narrators are when you have a first-person narrative, but the person giving you the narrative is not someone you can rely on to give you accurate information. Um, sometimes it's subtle, i.e. the Sherlock Holmes stories where Watson and Keiji gets his facts wrong. Sometimes it's intentional, um, i.e. some of uh, um, Lovecraftian stories where the person's actually going insane and we're not supposed to trust anything you're saying. Um, and sometimes that tension between reliability and reliability is the point of the story, uh, like novels like Nikita, where you're in the head of a reprehensible person who's trying to justify his reprehensible actions. Um, so if we go to the sense that Jennifer Walters is, is very clearly a narrator, all the show is told from her perspective, except for the very few points where it's not, but that's handled in a very specific way. 
um, Jennifer not knowing what she actually wants would have been fine if the sh if this episode didn't make a very clear case of she coming across exactly knowing exactly what she wants, and it's only until the very end where that's put into question. And it is also weird now that I'm thinking about it in more context again that we are told up front how what an amazing lawyer Jin is. Mm -hmm. And then throughout the entire course of the show, if memory serves, I don't remember one single case that Jin wins. She technically wins the Leapfrog case, but... No. Well, I'm afraid we'll, that. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get there, because that's episode eight, right? Right. Um, she does only because she convinces uh, the, um, uh, the guy to drop the case. So she technically does win it. All right. She does not win. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to episode one thoughts. Right, right, Matt, right, right. Matt wins the case. And then she convinces, um, like, I think the tailor to not then go and press charges about being kidnapped. Like the case, Matt wins because he uses rocket fuel in the jets he wasn't supposed to use. And that right, makes right. Jin looks like an idiot. Like, completely. No research no. done. Nothing. It, it, you're right. I, I, was, I was being facetious slightly, but but you're right in terms of she senses to be a good lawyer, um, and she's consistently had her has her feet kicked out from under her by the show. Um, combined with the fact that, for, so I think we're done with episode one. Um, I, I do want to break the cover of the episodes we skip. I skipped now, a lot of them. Oh, go ahead. I, I I'm not done with one yet. I want to go back to okay. one. Okay. And how they ruined Titania. She is an amazing character. I even yeah. like. The actress that they chose to yeah, play I know. her. I was so and excited. They, mm, they ruined the character. They ruined the actress. I think even the actress was later vocal afterwards about kind of what they did to the character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and yeah. That's she, it. She, I'm done. Her, I got to give her a shout out. She is a, she is a vapid, uh, she's a vapid social media influencer who shows up to fuck with She Hulk. That's pretty much all she does. Um, and has no fighting skills really or anything. And go read the comic version of her. Her, I'll give you this snippet that her and Jen are enemies who then sort of become frenemies who then both just like to fight. So they would get together and so they could fight right. as a sport for fun. Like, yeah. mm. um, so I skipped over a bunch of episodes uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, uh, one, because I do believe the last two episodes are some of the better parts of this show. Again, they're still messy, but I think they're better parts of the show. But two, a lot happens, but not a lot happens. Everything that you need to know does get recapped by the last two episodes, which is itself kind of a problem. Like we do miss the entire subplot of Jen not wanting the name She-Hulk and then Titania trademarking the name She-Hulk and then Jen fighting for the name She-Hulk because she did not, it implies endorsement that is not there. Um, there's some level of her skills as a lawyer, but to your point, Chris, her lawyer skills to be more in building cases and not in defending cases in the courtroom. When she actually gets to the courtroom, Jen is consistently shown to not be good at her job. And that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, it's also uh, it's frustrating because what they also did is they brought in a lot of cameos, a ton of cameos for MCUs. And this is the kind of thing that I feel like these Disney shows should be used for, which is bringing these actors again and, and let's do more stuff. Like they brought in the abomination from the 
original Hulk movie that was it was debated whether it was even MCU canon for a long time. Now this is here. Okay, that that movie is actually canon. It turns out they didn't bring in the Abomination. They they, they, they took the character concept of the Abomination and remade it. Well, right, yes, but they have the same actor. Well, I, I, I guess to your point, are you saying this is kind of like the Quicksilver thing in in WandaVision, where it's not really Quicksilver? It's not really no, animation. I, I, I'm saying that it is. It's it's what I'm saying when we talked about Baron Zemo. Baron Zemo is oh, the right. same character, the same actor from the movie, but they reworked him for the TV show, and they no, took the Abomination and they reworked him, and then flipped it upside down for this TV show. That's that's completely fair. Um, um, this is it's it's very clearly almost a parody of that original character. But to my larger point. That's what these kinds of shows should be doing, right? It's the let's bring in a whole bunch of characters and use them to elevate the new characters trying to establish with this show. Um, so, the, again, on paper, it sounds great. It ends up being just a bunch of characters that clearly the actors are having a good time, but has nothing to actually do with anything else. And the times it does have to do with anything else, it's so hard to fit it together that you might as well not bother. If, if the biggest positive shout out for your show, I think, was Madison and Wongers, mm-hmm. I believe you've done something wrong. Right. And the biggest takeaway from the show was the character Madison, who I don't think we get to see again. No. She's popped up in one of those episodes. And Wong, and they become friends, a couple or something. Right. And they, they binge watch television. And it's Madison, but the why isn't where you think. Look at that. I watched all the episodes and I remembered that without right. having seen her again. Right. Um, and Wong becomes more of a comedic stereotype, which is frustrating. Because Wong is an interesting character from Doctor Strange films that has very steadily and definitively turned into a, a, a comedy character. Um, which is a problem also... Slight digression, but um, this is a problem that uh, Chris Helmsworth has called out um, because he feels like Thor had the exact same problem. Uh, and he says a lot of characters are just becoming comedy characters. And he feels like it's damaging their character arcs. And I feel like Wong is another example of that happening. And then the show is just continuing to reinforce that the character assassination of Wong. Um, it goes back so- to an earlier comment I said that the MCU has shifted far too much into comedy. And you can't right. have all of your characters be comedic sticks, sticks, or else it loses that comedy in that feel. It's like right. anything else; it needs to have proper, what's the proper word? Proper portions equivalently for it, so you can get humor, and then that humor subsides, and then you get another basic, and then the humor hits again. It's still powerful and it's funny, and it reinforces it. Right. But Marvel saw with Guardians of the Galaxy that was just nonstop comedy, at least for the first one, that people loved it. And they gave them the views and the money, and so they tried to make everything sort of like that. Right. Um, in the midst of all of this, we do have, again, the kind of Ally McBealish stuff of the, okay, there's, there's uh, some dating problems, and what her dating problems are being openly as, as She Hulk. Um, some people coming after her because they're basically fetishists for She-Hulk. Um, so her struggles to try to find a real relationship. There's all stuff that, that could have been good, um, but it gets kind of lost. Because the, 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 the shtick is that it's supposed to be a case of the week sitcom. Except that that also doesn't happen either. 
Um, there's one ongoing case that goes across a couple of episodes, like the Abomination case actually takes like two or three episodes as an arc. Um, and so like it, it's when you said this was written, I can kind of see that now because if I could see the individual episodes kind of in this lurking mess of progression, like it should have been, here's the abomination episode. We talk about his case, beginning, middle, end, all that. Boom. Here's the episode about Jen's relationship problems, beginning, middle, end, done. Boom. I feel like if these had been more episodic, more like the shows it's trying to emulate, I think it would have been stronger. But instead we have just kind of five episodes of, of, of a bunch of subplots weaving around each other and it's losing the episodic vibe of the show. Although I will give them credit. They, they did make me want to punch Todd in the face the second I saw him. That's true. They're very good at establishing unlikable characters. Uh, but we'll talk more about Todd in the episode we're going to cover. Um, so episode eight, Ribbit and Ribbit. Walters takes on a new case representing Eugene Patilio slash Leapfrog, who, yes, is a real Marvel character. Love it. Who wishes to sue Jacobson for giving him a faulty super suit. Jacobson is represented by Mac Murdoch in court and wins the case due to Patilio inadvertently revealing a disobeyed Jacobson's instruction by using jet fuel in his boosters. Afterwards, Patilio contacts Walters asking for help against an unknown assailant. Walters arrives and battles the assailant, who she discovers to be Murdoch in his superhero persona of Daredevil. Murdoch reveals to Walters that Patilio kidnapped Jacobson and the two work together to rescue the latter before sleeping together. Next day, Walters attends the California, Southern California Law Awards Gala where she accepts a Female Lawyer of the Year Award. But the gala is interrupted by an intelligentsia broadcast which smears Walters' reputation by displaying footage of her in bed with Miller who was her old boyfriend. Brief losing control, Walters goes on a rampage destroying the gala stage and attempting to capture a nearby intelligentsia member only to be apprehended by a department for damage control. Hey, it's our buddy's damage control. Okay. Now, this episode is what I thought the show was going to be. It is episode eight, right? But it's the Jen gets a case. It's a Z-list Marvel character. It's played for laughs. And the case ties into her overall MCU arc. If the whole show had been this, I probably would be much kinder on it this time around. Because when I think about this show, I remember Leapfrog. And in my head, it was way earlier than I thought than this was is, right? It's like, I, I felt like this whole, this week, weird Marvel character shows up. Sometimes it's a cameo, sometimes it's not. She deals with the cameo case while B and C subplots happen. I felt like the structure would have been great, but we didn't get a lot of this. Um, So... I, I'm in total agreement with you. And what can I say? The catchphrase, ribbit and rip it, are top notch. I, I give a full hat tip to the writers on that. It was so good because they had the perfect balance of the first time you say it. It's like, that is so lame. And then she, like within five minutes, she and her assistant are both using it. And it's like, yes, it's exactly that kind of catchphrase where it's terrible and it sticks in your head and you hate the fact that's in your head. I will give them full props for that because that is mwah, right. chef's kiss. Also, a really good use of a character that nobody, frankly, cares about. And if you're the listener who cares about Leapfrog, I'm sorry. But you're wrong. Nobody cares about Leapfrog. What? It's, <laughs> it's the Leapfrog. I, I want would, I want I a competition would, between Leapfrog and Patroc the Leaper. The Leaper. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would much rather read Patroc the Leaper. And I've already been on record about Patroc the Leaper than Leapfrog. You know what? I bet you hands down leapfrog at takeout Sportsmaster. Oh, oh, podcast over. We're done. I'm never speaking to you again. <laughs> Sportsmaster is amazing. And I will not take slander in this house. Again, Sportsmaster. 
Oh, God. Um, but, I mean, you know, I also like the fact that we see uh, Patilio's testimony to Jen about Leapfrog. And so we go, okay, maybe he's just a shitty superhero. And then over time, no, actually, he's a supervillain. I liked that arc. It's the... Because, again, it is a legal joke. What do you do when your client misrepresents themselves to you? Right? That all worked really, really well. And great use of a cameo, bringing in uh, the guy who played Matt Murdock in the Netflix shows to play him in this show. It's something that people have been clamoring for for years. They finally use him. And it's like, great, Deborah Devil's in the MCU. And it's the same actor who played him. And we loved him in the Netflix show. And now we're starting to run into the problems. Um, because this Daredevil, while arguably comics accurate, is not the Daredevil we saw in the books at all. This Daredevil has more flippy flips. He is flippy shit. Um, and, and we're going back to research. I can, not if you told me they asked Kevin Feige about this stuff, I can see, I can see the conversation going, oh, you're using Daredevil. You got to have a hallway fight scene. And so they had a hallway fight scene. And it is nothing like... This is not... It is just a fight in the hallway. It is not the patented Daredevil hallway fight scene. We made fun of the fact that it was a, a, a trope in Daredevil in subsequent seasons. But they all had a certain rhythm and cadence. And the idea was... Is to push the boundaries of cinematography and choreography. Perhaps ludicrous extremes. That was the whole point of it. And it, yes, it's jammed in the middle of the episode to show off cool choreography and cinematography... But that was the point of them, and this completely misses any point of why those scenes are in Daredevil. It's just, oh, okay, so we'll film a, a, a fight in the hallway, I guess. Well, also, the Daredevil you're discussing with the Great Hallway fight is more of a Frank Miller Daredevil. This Daredevil is more of like the 60s Daredevil. Oh, this is the Stanley Daredevil, hands down, yeah. He was like, hey, how's it going? Nothing but flips, some bright colors. Right. And, yep, I'm blind. I will- that has no meaningful impact in anything I do. I will still give kudos to Charlie Cox for making two distinctive daredevils. And it was clear he was loving it. He was enjoying it. He was loving the hell out of it, right? It's the, oh, thank God, I don't have to be covered in blood and angst for a whole episode. You know, it's like, I, 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 it's clearly he was enjoying it. He did a great job with it, I think. But it's, so, okay, so let's go back. Um, so, uh, Ribbit and rip it, my friend. Rip it and rip it. Right into the episode. Um, Matt Murdock walks into the, the scene and it's clear it's meant to be, again, a fourth wall breaking. Oh, we're excited to see him because we know who he is, but Jen doesn't. Um, but again, she even tells us, who is this guy? And then she double checks and like, you know, hey, I'm into him, right? Which I love. The chemistry between these two actors was off the fucking charts, right? Mm-hmm. Like 15 seconds in the like, yes, I do want them to hook up. I mean, that is exactly what you want for kind of a romantic comedy beat. And they have 30 minutes to sell an entire relationship, and they do. They do. Um, even when they're snarking in court, right? She's clearly, like, kind of into it. So I'm like, I-, I love it. I loved all of that. Um, and, and the, the apple teeny in the bar later. Oh, yeah. Because it's green. Yeah. Right, right. Um <laughs> They're doing a good job of also recapping, let's say, their version of Matt Murdock for audiences who may not be familiar with any version of Matt Murdock. Um, they bring up Hell's Kitchen 
bit too often, but you know, whatever. So by the way, he's in Hell's Kitchen because he's a daredevil. Get it? Yeah, yeah, we got it. Thanks. Um, uh, but I mean, this is since we skipped over we skipped over her first relationship slash sex scene, um, which is weird because we go through that arc again here. But I'm not mad because it's way better here, right? Um, to the point where I mean, I'm, I'm skipping around a little bit, but like to the point where Daredevil's walking, doing the walk of shame in his outfit is just hysterical and he goes morning just just, just just deadpan way he says it it's just amazing it's hysterical and if the whole show had been this kind of stuff right but the problem is and this is where my frustration is um this is also indicative of the whole show in the sense that all of the comedy is coming at jen's expense not as a woman to its credit it the show is never at jen's expense as a woman but it is at her expense as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And also kind of at her expense as a superhero. She fails on the both of her fronts in this episode. And both pla- and in both places to Matt Murdock. The person who's never showed up in the show before. So you, you mean when a when a attractive white male person shows up and everything is just all about them? Right. And if the show had done something with that, that could have been interesting. But it's it's Cox, and it's like, oh no, we love him, right? And that's the problem. Can can we take a minute to talk about the She Hulk and Daredevil fight? Sure. And the sheer massive amount of property damage that Jin inflicts, the fact that she's doing super claps, which should have potentially knocked out or killed a normal person, which would yep. definitely have killed Daredevil with Daredevil super, super hearing. hearing. From mm-hmm. how comic superheroing works, um, to k- stomping her foot to like the entire top part of the structure falls apart, then hurling someone else's car at Daredevil. What about that as superheroes? Or a lawyer? <laughs> you should be knowing the laws are breaking. Yeah. And, and actually, the fight brings up another problem, which I've been kind of dancing around. CGI in the show is crap. And I like Doctor Who. I let that go. I gave uh, I gave the show that. I, I'll give every show one to three gives, and that was two of my gives for this show. It was hard for me because the character is so CGI based, and it was sometimes genuinely hard to to watch She Hulk on the screen because of the hair was moving the wrong way or the costuming was off. Uh, um, if 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 you're bad CGI. In Doctor Who, the bad CGI is often used sparingly. Not always, but often. Um, Because the Doctor is not... All the stuff that's relevant to the Doctor is largely a practical effect. So it's used a little more... It's it's used intermittently throughout the show. Like, the Daleks are generally practical, except for when you see millions of them. You know, stuff like that. Um, Your main character is largely CGI. So you really need to nail that. And it's clear they didn't entirely nail that. This now, is the reworked and touched up version. Right. And, and that, now I will say, one of the controversies that came out of this show that I, I lost the time, but I've since found out about, was that this show was under massive crunch. And Marvel refused to add more time onto this. So uh, uh, they basically tried to throw more money at the problem. Um, because, yeah, the original Seahawk tested very badly. 
and they had a very limited amount of time. And so there was lots of 60, 70 hour weeks for the CGI team. And that's fucking awful. Um, and that's led to an even larger problem now. I think that's still ongoing about all the different animators and all the crunch that Hollywood has put them under in general. Mm-hmm. In addition to now the act, the ongoing actor strike, the ongoing writer strike, it is an industry that needs a complete overhaul. Right. Um, so, I mean, frankly, this show, this show should be structured differently to, to have reduced that load. Um, and to do that CGI better, but the fight is where it, I, I bring it up at this point because the fight was kind of one of the more visible examples of that because the whole fight CGI was also pretty rough. Um, the cars being picked up was very wonky and stuff like that. Thinking about it on a whole now, I know that they lost an episode, but I think this show, I would have a more positive view of it, even, even in its current state, if it had been a six episode run. Yeah. I think they could cut a good chunk of the episodes we skipped over. And that would have given them more money for CGI. And, but yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, little things like if the Matt Murdock fight had been like that frame from episode one, and so Matt Murdock becomes her antagonist and her on off game relationship with Matt Murdock through those six episodes, that would have been a fantastic run, but all kind of crammed in here. And, and again, it's just the, and I say it's crammed into 30 minutes, but actually it's more crammed into 20 because really we have the whole Gala subplot. Um, which another thing is... Can I, uh, go ahead. Can I say that bait running, riffing off that, I think it would have been great if the first episode, it could even stay the same, but we don't do the Bruce thing how they did, but we put the scene of her throwing the car literally at Daredevil is the first thing that you see. Yeah. And then have Jin doing the exact same talk. Like, hey... You're probably going to know what happens before we get in that whole Daredevil thing. And then they tell their story and they pop Daredevil up around like episode four or five to have that. Yeah. Can you do an Arrested Development thing of like, I suppose you're wondering how we got here kind of thing, you know? Yeah. But. Um, uh, but then, and at least to, um, I'm conflicted about the Jacobson Taylor subplot. Right. On the one hand, I like the idea of looking into how do people get their outfits in the MCU and the idea that there's someone who has not only made a career out of this, but also has a certain amount of, of artistic integrity around making these is fascinating and interesting. And the fact that because Jen is a Hulk, she has specialized clothing needs and therefore needs to that the, the, the conflict of interest around keeping connection with this person while simultaneously be having to work against them because her boss is forcing to, that is potentially interesting drama. But the idea that the, the, because Matt comes in and says, he's the person who gives me my outfits, which obviously one, we know for a fact is not true. He gets his outfits from random shelf the street and takes an entire season to get an outfit together. So, you know, you're wrong. Oh, but that's a different daredevil. Right. I know. Um, but more to the point that it implies that, Literally everyone in the MCU goes to Jacobson. And that causes issues for me a little bit. Um, also, the character is just a joke the entire time. He's, and arguably, he's a queer stereotype. And you're only, I think, black character on the show with speaking lines. If I'm oh, not yeah, mistaken. Yeah. 
Yeah. A whole bunch of tropes in one character. Right. So it's... It's one of the many issues where it's like, when I first watched it, I was like, oh, he's complaining the lines. And then after it's over, I started thinking, it's like, nothing happens. He's just there to be bitchy. Which arguably is also Titania's arc. Who's also a woman of color who's there just to be bitchy. Yeah. You know? Um, I will say, though, I am less bothered by the concept that the entire, or most of the MCU hits up Jacobson for their outfits. Because otherwise, how would Jacobson have a successful business? Because there, there is a finite number of superheroes in that loft space he's in, in California, and the equipment that he's using has cost a bunch of money. Fair enough. Though that does mean that the wasp would be out of work. Well, the 616 wasp, not the MCU wasp. Right, right, right. Very different. Uh, so yes, they, they, they get together. Um, I like the fact that, uh, Jen's unashamed at what happens, which I think is great. She's like, yeah, we had sex. It was awesome. Oh, sorry. One more thing before you get there. Oh, yeah. I know you're trying to get there, and I keep putting up roadblocks. This is something that I did like, and I want to point out specifically, that while the Daredevil fight scene in the hallway was a scene, the part that really resonated, though, was showing how Jen fights in compared to how Matt fights. How one okay. is trying to be like more elegant and precise with their strikes, and Jin is just a powerhouse that moves through things. Mm-hmm. Like that was a good contrast to show and display like their different power concepts. Even when she picked up Matt and sort of picked up Daredevil and, and unmasked Matt to see who it was. Right. Like those are great scales of power that were demonstrated. Sure. And, and I will say, I remember when this episode aired, a lot of people were like going, you know, there's no way that Daredevil would unmask himself so fast. And I was like, I have watched Daredevil, my friend, and you are wrong. <laughs> Matt will give his sacred identity up at a moment's notice. He'll give up his sacred identity for a, 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 a candy bar. <laughs> so that is completely accurate to the character. <laughs> oh, but you're saying. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, the them... Hang out on the roof afterwards was cute, honestly. Um, and he's like, I'm going to have dinner. She's like, or we could just skip that. And I mean, you know, again, she's very unabashed about what happens. Um, Matt seems to be a little more guilty about it than she is, but you know, Catholic guilt, so that actually tracks. Um, uh, and her talking to the show about like, it feels like the show should be over, right? Um, you know, what else is there to do? My frustration is I agree with her. <laughs> because everything at this point on really does feel tacked on and again episode 9 which we'll talk about addresses this quote unquote but when you show as a natural conclusion and your character's commenting on that and goes what is there else to do your response should be no Jen there's obviously X, Y, and Z and none of that was true I really felt like no the show should kind of just wrap up here she has a nice lunch with her family with Matt and then the show's over you know yeah I will uh, let you go on I have right. no other comments about that uh, so we go to the gala um, and again the show does a good job of poking at why female needs to be in front of a lawyer um, uh, and, and digs a little bit into that Which and, and to its credit some of the shows skipped over 
also did a pretty good job of poking at those little things too. I mean, the, the kind of constant little minor microaggressions that women have to deal with, professional women in particular have to deal with. Um, the show does address those and keep poking at those. So, I mean, that's it, it, clearly on the radar. They're very good at, at doing that trend. Um, especially the whole everyone wins the award thing. And it's just like, oh, and then the, 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 the model answers, you know, they go, what do you love about being a lawyer? And just like, you know, again, one of the women's like going, you know, one thing is, you know, I, I don't love is, you know, having to ask people think a lot about being a lawyer. You know I mean? Like, again, they're addressing those points. Uh, and then um, it gets interrupted by the intelligentsia uh, who's again, throughout the show presented as kind of a men's rights activist group. Um, and smears her reputation by showing her having sex, or basically showing a sex tape of her. And she loses control. Again, I'm frustrated by the show at this point because everyone around her, yes, she turned into a Hulk and smashed things. And everyone's reacting like she's a monster and also shaming her, frankly, right? It's like the, oh, well, you know, She-Hulk lost her control, so obviously you see how, how out of control she is. It's like, no one at this point in time has, has said, yeah, I know she has a right to be mad. Because a sex tape was shown in front of all of her peers and colleagues. At no point is anyone going, wow, we should deal with that. Everyone's like, oh, She-Hulk's lost control. Even her closest supporting cast are not with her on this. And that really bothered me. Yeah. Because... It, it's just, it, it's, the show ostensibly is like, you know, this is not okay and we should be sympathetic to Jen, and I am. But arguably the people who are close to her, who she's been having fun times with and joking about having sex with Matt Murdock with, should also be like, yeah, that's not okay. And the fact that she's super strong in a Hulk, I, I, I see the argument of, this is the first time she's really lost control and everyone's like, well, wow, we, we got so used to Jen being in control that we're not used to her losing control. But you live in the MCU, and we've spent several episodes of people losing. The abomination was a key plot point of your show, right? So it's like, well, someone lost control. Why is this a surprise? It's, I don't need to say it's bad writing, but, you know, it's bad writing. Um, And on top of all that, the fact that there is literally an assailant there that did it that they let go. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Mm. Um, and then uh, uh, Damage Control shows up. And I'll be honest, I have watched this show twice. I did not realize it was Damage Control until I looked up the summary on Wikipedia. <laughs> Which is another problem. Because if the idea is we're going to use Ms. Marvel and she helped to establish damage control is the new kind of big bad for the MCU on a governmental level. You drop the ball here because they're none of the same characters, none of the same actors. It's just random government people show up. Maybe the other actors read the script and they hadn't signed contracts for it yet. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, but uh, I will say um, one thing that I Actually, I realize this is episode nine. Never mind. I'll stop what I'm saying there. Do you have anything else about episode eight before I go to episode nine? Nope. Okay. All right. Episode nine. Whose show is this? 
Walters is released from damage control custody, but is forced to wear an inhibitor to prevent her from transforming and loses her job at JLK&H, which is the law firm she worked at before. Nikki and Pug infiltrate Intelligentsia uh, events where they learn that Phelps created Intelligentsia and revealed that he is Hulk King and Blonsky is the abomination is serving as a motivational speaker. Uh, Walkers arrives at the event and confronts uh, Phelps, who injects himself with her blood and transforms her into the Hulk. After Titania and Banner unexpectedly appear in the ensuing fight, a confused Walters destroys her inhibitor and breaks the fourth wall to confront the show's writers in Marvel Studios Assembled. She meets with KEVIN, an artificial intelligence that claims to be in charge of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's storyline decisions, and persuades it to rewrite the finale on which it reluctantly agrees. Returning to her show, she finds Phelps and Blonsky being arrested. While celebrating with her family and Murdoch, Banner returns from Sakaar with his son Scar. After regaining her job and being cleared of all charges, Walters vows to continue her work as a lawyer and as a superhero. And in the mid-credits scene, Wong breaks Blonsky out of prison and takes him to Kamartage. <sighs> okay. Um, so the thing I, I was going to say that I liked is that when she's being, when she's going through all this, this, this ship, um, women taking on all of the consequences of men's actions rang disturbingly true for me. Uh, I also found out that a lot of the people talking shit about She-Hulk that happened through this was directly taken from interactions that the staff had with people on Twitter and social media during the course of releasing the show. They literally rewrote the script and had it reshot to use actual pull quotes from haters of the show, which was a nice touch. Mm -hmm. um, and her, Nikki using a mildly embarrassing college video to get to draw haters out and get invited to an event was actually a good showing of her intelligence and, and skills. That's about all good I can say about this episode. <laughs> um, I, I do want to get to the fourth wall break separately, but I mean, just everything up to that. Um, it becomes uncomfortable because it, they kind of grind the joke in. It's like, let's, let's get all the MRE talking points in and have Pug be uncomfortable with spouting them out as part of the infiltration thing wasn't, wasn't funny. It was just uncomfortable and went on way too long in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I, as I mentioned up till now, bad writing has been what is, is actually my largest problem. This entire show is the bad writing. And mm -hmm. this episode is the capstone of all of that. Like for you, it was a pilot, the pilot I let go because pilots are always just inherently a, a hot mess but this is your finale for your show yeah like this is the thing that everyone will take away and remember regardless of stuff that happened before and it mm -hmm. dropped the ball for me on every intrinsic level and i understand that part of it was trying to like parody and poke fun at how other hero shows end but it goes back to just because you say it doesn't make it good if you can't do it. Okay. Yeah. So let, let's get into the, the fourth wall break then, because I think it's where you're kind of centering around too. Um, I can't like everything else is because the rest of it is relevant. Like the entire right. buildup to all of it doesn't matter. So I, um, I hate anything that wastes my time and that waste 10, 15 minutes of my time. Right. So Jennifer literally breaks out of the show. Um, amusing bit where they go to the Disney plus selection screen, um, which is a great gag that 
lasted all of 25 minutes before it changed. And then we but like, granted, we were watching week to week. At first I was like, what the hell happens? And then, okay, she's breaking out. But I, we actually had that moment of like, it did something to just show crash. Um, so that was a good moment. Uh, but it's, there's no context for it. She just is able to leave the show. There's n- we, she's been able to break the fourth wall and talk to us, but never literally step out of the show before. That that's mm-hmm. completely there's never been forecasting, and it just happens arbitrarily. But fun. So he goes in and confronts the writers' room, and she starts to. This is what's frustrating. Jennifer Walters presents extremely good arguments for the failings of the MCU as a whole, and so the MCU, on some level, acknowledging its own failings is interesting. And in particularly her conversation with Kevin, the first part of that conversation is actually really good because she's making a very impassioned speech using her lawyerly skills to explain why not all shows need to follow the same formula. And particularly she calls out an over-reliance on cameos and a way too long in the tooth subplot of subplots that ultimately end up being various forms of super serum. I would like you to remember these two points when we talk about Secret Invasion. Uh, but my issue with this is that while it's funny and it's interesting, A, minor spoiler, um, the MCU learns nothing from this. So if you're criticizing your own stuff and they continue to make the same mistakes, that stops being funny and starts being sad. <laughs> And B, the payoff is she convinces Kevin to rewrite the show, and then she goes back to the show where everything is resolved. So the show is hinging on the, we don't need to end the show in a big superhero fight, and fills that void with nothing. She says, they should pay for the consequences of their actions, and we go back to them being arrested. She is not responsible with them getting arrested. She manipulated the show into cutting out the reel where the consequences happened. So Jennifer ostensibly caused that, but only by metatextually destroying the show, not because of any skill she has as a lawyer or as a superhero. I know that you all can't see it, but Eddie is seeing my frustrated face right now. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, we said WandaVision trolled people to some extent, but they did it in a way that was more related to the show and what they were trying to do. Right. She-Hulk knew what was the, the sort of feedback they were going to get, and they prepped their show for that, and then they continued to troll people, but they didn't just troll trolls. They trolled actual fans at the same time. And I will point out it's just even a minor one. Like, there's a big, a big curious thing debate when the X-Men are going to come. Yep. And them trying to get some love, making it, having her ask a question about the X-Men. And then giving like a little thumbs up to the camera. Like, mm-hmm. that's still just trolling fans. And it's right. continuous. And I, I know that even talking negatively about the show, I will get a lot of people that have a lot of heat for me now because I, tech, I didn't like She-Hulk. And I didn't like She-Hulk because it was a woman-led show. I didn't like She-Hulk because it was badly written. And badly executed, but excellently acted. Yep. Um, so, actually, it's interesting. Um, I wish we could have made Doom Patrol work on some level because I feel like there's there's some the meta textual context would have been useful here. 
Um, but I will pull one very small example because you mentioned her giving a thumbs up saying, what about the X-Men? Whereas um, Mr. Nobody in the very first episode of Doom Patrol makes a straight comment of nobody will watch this show except for Grant Morrison fanboys on Reddit, <laughs> right? That is the correct way to troll a very specific subsection of the audience while keeping everybody else on board. Mm -hmm. um, this is trying to do that. And you're right, just ends up alienating everybody because it's like, yeah, what, what about the X-Men? Please answer that question. Oh, no, you're not going to do that because you don't want to answer that question. Um, so it feels, the only word I can think of is self-congratulatory. It's like, look, we could poke fun at ourselves. Aren't we great? And it's like, you did, but A, you didn't think with it because everything out of it, MCU stuff still ends the big superhero fight after She-Hulk. And B, you do it at the expense of Jennifer Walters as a character. Strangely enough, this show, talking with it, talking about it with you, reminds me of Jupiter's Legacy. Not from the abundance mm. of superhero characters, but from the lack of work that was done and the assumption that they could ride on others' coattails to get there. Right. And Jupiter's Legacy felt very much like, we are the bullshit, we are the amazing people. We did nothing to be amazing, but we are accepted. And she hoped for me, feels like that. Right. Um, I think the most representative example is Hulk's, hunt, Hulk's son, Scar. Oh. Because when she confronts Kevin, Kevin said, she says, why is Bruce even here? Which is a valid question. And Kevin says, well, we're here because we have to set up. And she got some says, uh, uh, save it for the movie, which is a valid criticism. Right. It's the, we're going to jam this thing in because that's set up something else in our master plan. And that is, and she points out that is going to, that is a detriment of my show. Then two things happen. And one scene manages to do two fucking things simultaneously. A, manages to ignore Jennifer Walters' concern by jamming it in anyway. And B, removes the actual reason why Scar is there, the thing there ostensibly was his reason for being in that she retcons. So not only do you simultaneously have Jen Walter's argument undercut by Kevin anyway, but also don't give them the thing that ostensibly was supposed to be there, which is the explanation to why Scar's there. So it's like you do it, but you do it badly. You don't even give the explanation and you undercut your hero and her arguments. So the show has fought back at the end. The show has gotten one last dig in against Jennifer Walters. The show is actively now aggressively against its main character. Mm -hmm. And then we end with a mid-credit scene of Wong breaking Blonsky out. And there's been an ongoing subplot of Wong and Blonsky kind of hanging out together. But also it, again, undercuts Jen's accomplishments. She, she asked for Blonsky to pay for consequences and the show's like, nope. <laughs> so... I like what the show promised me. The show promised me a self-aware woman is going to take control of her own narrative and try to live a life inside of a weird superhero universe. The problem is the weird superhero universe won on just about every level. If, if we look at the show as metatext and the show not only invites us, but demands that we do, the metatext defeats the main character. There's no other way to look at the show. And that's frustrating because I want Jennifer Walters to win, and she doesn't. Even though the show tells me she did, the show actively proves that she has lost on a metatextual level. Are, are, you, are you basically saying this show is like 
Charlie Brown and Lucy in the football? Yes, I think so. I think so. I think, I think, and, and again, I love the scene where she yells at Kevin. Cause like, yes, I want, these are valid points. I'm glad that you're recognizing that. But if you're going to do this kind of metatextual, metatextual parody of your own property, you have to do something with that. Because otherwise, what comes across is, yeah, we're aware of this, and we're going to keep doing it because you suckers will keep buying it. And they it are not like. wrong. And they're not wrong. That's what it feels like. I know because I watch Secret Invasion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so where, I'm, where I've landed with this is I still like She-Hulk. Right? I enjoyed watching these three episodes. But my what I loved changed and some of it was kind of regretting it particularly because watching them so closely together in the sense that this show should have been an elevate if it wants to be using sitcoms as a, a counterpoint to superhero narratives fine you have to do better than wandavision you did it once if you're gonna do it again a couple of years later you have to up your game and in every respect if those shows have been reversed both would have been better because if WandaVision had been the evolution of She-Hulk, She-Hulk would have been exciting for playing with this, and then WandaVision would have been exciting for doing more with it. But because one came out two, She-Hulk came out two years after WandaVision, it feels like it's it it feels like if it had not been the MCU, it would have been like another company trying to copy WandaVision and failing, is what it felt like. <laughs> Combined with the fact that it is a show that knows what it should be doing and just doesn't means that I like the bits and pieces where the show's at least recognizing and it's failing, but it doesn't change the fact that it failed. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed these three episodes. <laughs> I, I will say that I enjoyed one of these three episodes. And even in the first run of watching She-Hulk, I think there were maybe two episodes that I liked. Mm -hmm. And the rest of them I had a lot of the problems I've already discussed with. Going back and watching it again, was painful even when we put it even when i put it on the list of shows for us to watch mm -hmm. i was like oh completionist chris why and i enjoyed the conversation that we've had around it yeah. but it is not a show i will ever watch again if there is a season two of the show with a new writer's room i the the loyal marvel fan boy that i am would give it like two or three episodes well, and, and this is the other part that really frustrates me about this show is, and this is kind of my, my final point before we wrap up, is at the end of our conversation with Kevin, Jennifer Walter says, I'll see you in the movies. And Kevin says, yeah, I know. And that right there tells me everything I need to know. I would love a season two because the format of the show, if they completely radically write the show, the show itself can handle that because Jennifer Walter's like, yeah, you know what? I need to take my life in a new direction. And I'm taking a show with me and the show can do that. And, it can, and that's all it needs to do to do a completely different show and be fine with it because, because of the metatextual nature and because of her fourth wall breaking, she could just say, I wasn't happy with how that played out. I'm doing something else now and be okay. And I would be curious to see if they do that. But Kevin Feige explicitly told the audience, you're never seeing She-Hulk in the movie. But we also know that's not true. Because if everything I'm, the snippets I'm picking up about the new Captain America movie is it is a Hulk centered movie. So 
I'm fairly certain She-Hulk will have a cameo in there of not being a more predominant member of the cast. Because it's following the Captain America model almost where Captain America movies aren't about Captain America, but they're like 0.5 Avenger movies. Mm. Well, I, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Because I feel like, I, I'm, I'm with you. I feel like it's a different writing team. Jennifer Walters can be amazing in MCU. And I'm really rooting for her. I really want her to do well. But man, that was a rough start. Ah, <laughs> uh, I like how you said start. Uh, anyway, um, let's talk about something that will definitely be much better because it's building on a strong foundation in the MCU. What show are we going to watch next, Chris? Um, so next week we're going to watch Secret Invasion. Uh, as an FYI, at time of recording, we both literally finished, I think, Secret Invasion last night, and it just aired. Yeah. There, so we may do things a little bit differently than normal for the next episode of Secret Invasion because most of the episodes are really short. And as we both just watched it, there is a lot of rewatching. We may actually try to approach the show and give our our rough takes on the entire series itself because mm-hmm. it's only six six episodes. So if you want to know specific episodes, you can check out episode one, four, and five. But I would say be prepared for us to talk about all of it. Yeah, I mean, because frankly, the whole show is just a bit outside of our roughly three-hour block that we try to stick to. I mean, if we did the math, it's probably something like 3.20, But also, it's another slightly long movie cut into episodes show so and in case people are curious we will likely touch on the controversy about the ai art and some of the other aspects that go into it it will not be a full deep dive because that is so relevant right now that you can easily do that research yourselves right yeah if you if if you you really want to know about details about that just google strike (laughs) at this point in time um because it's basically literally what actors and writers are striking about right now Mm-hmm. Uh, but with that said we will see you all next week as we wrap up the MCU with Secret Invasion <laughs>